Hello and welcome to the Harvest Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We are honored that you would click on this and listen to God's Word preached by one of our elders. At the same time, we strongly affirm the biblical mandate for Christians to be a faithfully active and in-person part of their local church. This sermon cannot and will not replace what a local church can provide to the life of a Christian. That being said, we hope that this sermon challenges and encourages you in your faith and that it builds upon the faithful ministry of your local church. We hope that you enjoy. God bless. We'll go th- through verses 1 through 15, and that will leave us verse 16 for next week. And you know John three sixteen. <clears throat> I want to give you my prayer for this morning and what I pray the Spirit of God would accomplish in your life and in my life. I pray that, uh, for one, in your heart and soul, there may be a clearer line, more clarity on whether or not you are a Christian or not. I pray that there would be a clearer indication, a clearer line for you, that you would know that this morning, by the end of our time together, and maybe reflection afterwards, if you're a Christian or not. I uh, also pray that if you are a Christian, that you'd be able to explain what exactly a Christian is. What has happened? What makes someone a Christian? That you'd be able to explain that to others. And also, if you're a Christian, that you would uh, know what happened to you and why you are a Christian. So uh, that's my hope for this morning. And in John chapter 3, as we begin to look, a phrase that I hope you'll pay attention to that will pop up over and over again from the lips of Jesus is born again. You'll see it multiple times, born again. Now, that we are going to get into in a minute what Jesus meant by that in his context. And, but today, let's think just for a minute about that in our context, that word, that phrase, born again. Somewhat... Um, you know, Jimmy Carter, when he was running for president, what did he come out saying? I'm a born-again Christian. What did that mean? Why did he have to say born-again Christian? Why couldn't he just say Christian? Why did he put born-again on it? Um, Chuck Colson, man, the hatchet man for Nixon, you may remember. Um, after he went to prison, he uh, encountered with the Lord. He come out, he wrote a book about his testimony. It was called Born Again. And that phrase has kind of evolved in our time. Uh, Maybe a a basketball player, a baseball player who had a couple down years, and all of a sudden he's playing good again. The commentators might say, he's having a born-again season. He's he's become born again. Or a business that was going down, and then all of a sudden it starts to come up again and start having good business. say, hey, that business is born again. So we've kind of taken that phrase in, in our context, and it means different things. But what did Jesus mean when he uses this phrase, born again. So let's read verses 1 through 15 together and then get into the text. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. I like to coin this passage, Nick at night. He said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. That sounds like a great statement, don't it? Well, Jesus 
interrupts. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, or in, in the Greek word, Amen, amen, pay attention. I say to you, unless, that word unless should really make you think for a second because this is a conditional statement and whatever, something's got to happen for something else to happen. He's talking about entering the kingdom of God, seeing the kingdom of God. He says, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. Now that, that should just, what does he mean there? To be born again, something about water and the Spirit. Okay, we'll get there. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Hmm. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now, he said don't marvel. What must that mean that Nicodemus was doing? He was marveling, looking at him sideways. What are you talking about, Jesus? What do you mean born again? This doesn't make sense. Jesus said don't marvel at that. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear it sound. But you do not know where it comes from, where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So born again, Jesus rephrases that as born of the Spirit. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? He's marveling. How can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we, isn't it interesting it goes to we there? We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? I think Jesus is saying there, Nicodemus, if I told you just how to get into the kingdom and you don't understand it, how am I going to tell you things about the kingdom? If you don't understand how to get into it, the first thing, you're not going to understand anything else I would tell you. Verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. How many books, how many people on TV, if you watch TV, hey, I went to heaven and, and I seen this. and Well, Jesus just said no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven that's i think that's he's talking about himself so i'll take jesus's word for it i actually looked up in the greek language what no one means you know what it means no one <laughs> no one no one has ascended into heaven except he who came down from heaven his name is jesus verse 14 and as moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Ah, oh, we can't stop there. We have to read verse 16, don't we? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I, I want to say three things this morning about this phrase, born again, and... Uh, I hope you'll take it to heart. First, I think we'll see it just plain in the text that it's necessary. Jesus is going to say to be born again, necessary. Go to chapter 3, look at verse 1 with me. We're just going to walk through this text together. Now, there was a man 
of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And in verse 2 says, this man came to Jesus. Who is this man? Well, I think it's interesting. Last week we were at the end of chapter 2, and we were talking about, if you just see in verse 25, that Jesus needed no one to bear witness about man, for he knows what is in man. Jesus knows what's inside of all of us. He knows what's in every man. And then, I, this, I don't, you, you may know this already, but just for repetition, there was no chapters and verses when they wrote the Bible. When John wrote this, he didn't say, all right, next verse, next chapter. No, uh, the joke was this happened about in the 1500s, and somebody was riding a camel. Every time they hit a bump, they hit it, made a dot, and that's how we got the verses and the chapters. And sometimes they make sense, sometimes they don't. But, uh, and, and this, this would, is not necessarily a bad chapter break, I don't think, but it's maybe unnecessary because what does John tell us? He knows what's in every man. And then the next verse, here came a man. Jesus knows this man, doesn't he? Ain't it interesting? Nicodemus comes to him, and he's got a question to ask. Why else would he come? He, he wants to ask him something, but does Jesus ever give him a chance to ask? No. He, Nicodemus never gets a question out. Why? Because Jesus knows what's in his heart. He knows what he needs to hear. Same for you and me this morning, isn't it? He knows what we need. Um, you may know this. This is just for, say it anyways, um, we don't, I don't sit at home in the past, we don't sit around and say, hey, you know, what topic are we going to preach about next month or next week? No, we start in the book of the Bible and we go through it. This is God's word. He knows what you need to hear. He knows what I need to hear. And he's given us his word. He knows what we need. So we don't pick and choose. We, we just go through it all because it's his word. And so uh, he knows what Nicodemus is, but who is this man? Well, he tells us he's a Pharisee. In Israel, in this time, there was a group of Pharisees, about 2,000 people. Israel, in any time, would have 500,000 people in its residence or somewhere around that. A lot of people, big city. Only about 2,000 of those were part of the most strict religious sect of Judaism, known as the Pharisees. They were very religious, okay? They knew the Torah. They knew the scriptures better than anyone. They tried to obey it. They tried to, um, everyone knew these were, these were the religious folks. These 2,000, they're the, they're the folks. But he's not just a Pharisee. He's a ruler of the Jews. There were 70 people, 70 Jews in Israel who were like their senate. They ruled completely over the people. Um, other than, uh, like, capital punishment, that's the only thing they didn't have control over, the Romans did. That's why when they crucified Jesus, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, take him to Pilate, the Roman official governor there in Israel. Other than that, they made all the calls. And Nicodemus is part of, he's a very select few, almost more important than a senator today in our time, because this is a smaller group of leaders here, only 70 of them. So he's a Pharisee, he's religious, he's a ruler, and later Jesus calls him the teacher of Israel. He is the theologian in Israel, okay? He, he's the man. And it's interesting that he comes to Jesus at night. Nicodemus is the kind of person that people come to him for questions about the Bible. You see? Uh, he's the guy, I don't know, you ever go to conferences or big thing, and you know, like, you see people walking around and like groups of people follow that one person, you know, and you see like him walking and people are following out. That's Nicodemus. Nicodemus is that guy that walks around with a group of people trying to ask him questions and wanting to know what he knows. But Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And I'm sure to you, my mind, I, I've, I've mulled this over. Why did he come to Jesus? It just told us that he come, and he comes in darkness. And I think John's telling us one of the major themes in John's gospel is uh, chapter 1, Jesus is the light of the world, right? 
But here, this is in darkness. Nicodemus is in darkness. Those he, he is religious, though he's a ruler. I believe he comes much like the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. You remember that story in the Bible? The rich young ruler come to Jesus. What do you ask him? Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, keep all the commandments. I have, he said. I've kept every one of them from my youth. He said, oh, yeah, really? Well, sell everything you got and follow me. Because what was the one commandment above all the other commandments? Just sum all them up. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not your possessions, right? Prove it. Prove it. Prove you've been perfect. Forsake it all and follow me. And we know he went away very sad. And the same, Nicodemus comes, I think, with the very same. What does he know? I think it's interesting what he knows. Do you see him uh, in verse 2? He come and he said, we know... He calls him rabbi, teacher. Jesus had no formal training to be a rabbi in that day. You had to go through formal training to sit under other rabbis, but Jesus had none of that. But why does he call him teacher? What's he saying in verse 2? We know that you're from God because you do these signs. No one, unless God can do those. We know God is with you. We've seen these miracles a little bit so far in this gospel. We know Jesus turned water into wine. And anybody who turned water into wine, there must be some kind of miraculous power going on there. That's a pretty great miracle, wouldn't you agree? And so they see these other miracles we're told that Jesus is doing. And Nicodemus says, we know that God is with you. We know that you're a teacher sent from God. I find it interesting that Nicodemus is solid on this point. Um, there's some bad theology and bad things rolling around in churches today. Uh, it was going around actually in, in this time too because what would they accuse Jesus of later? Jesus, you're casting demons out by the power of the devil. You remember that? In, in power Beelzebub, they'd say. And they believe that the devil had miraculous power. People today believe that the devil has miraculous power. Can I tell you that is not true? There's only one person who can do miraculous things. It's God. It's God. Okay? Uh, not the devil. And, and, and in the Bible, miraculous deeds are always accompanied with people who are saying this is the word of God. And these miraculous deeds always come with these people. For instance, why do we have this Bible? Why do we have the Old Testament? Moses and the prophets, they wrote them, and there was miraculous signs to accompany that that was God's revelation. When Jesus and the apostles come, there's all these miracles that they're performing to attest from God that this is the Word of God right now. We don't accept the Book of Mormon. We don't accept anything else because it's not from God. The canon is actually closed. God is done speaking. This is his word. He attested it uh, by the miraculous works of Jesus and the apostles. And Hebrews chapter 1 tells us he has spoken in this time in his son, period. It's over. He has spoken. This is the word of God. Jesus, God has spoken. And uh, that was attested by these miracles. And only God can do those miraculous signs. And, right, and he's, he's pretty good right there. He's pretty good. In saying that. So I imagine he's coming to Jesus. He comes to Jesus and he's thinking, here, I, I just want to make, I know this guy's from God. Put yourself in the context, Nicodemus. I know this guy's from God. He does miraculous signs. I'm the head teacher in Israel, in Judaism. I, I mean, I'm a Pharisee. I'm one of the rulers. I just want to make sure I'm, he, he, I know he's from God. I want to make sure I'm good. I want to make sure that I'm getting into the kingdom. You know what I mean? Like, I, all of us have a little bit of doubt somewhere. Like, am I good enough? And Nicodemus does, and he's going to go and say, I'm going to make sure that I'm good. 
I'm going to go to Jesus to get affirmation that I'm good. So he goes to Jesus, and what does Jesus say right off the bat? Imagine Nicodemus, all polite. Hey, Jesus, man, I know, I know you're from God. See these miracles? And Jesus goes, time out. Here's what you need to know. Unless you're born again, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. Wait a minute, Jesus. That's a, I didn't even ask a question. And Jesus, unless you're born again, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. Wow. Nobody had probably ever talked to him like that. I don't know, maybe he'd been married. I don't know. <laughs> but I imagine nobody had ever told Nicodemus, you're not good enough. And think about it. He's the most religious man in all of the world. He's, he's not liberal. He's an ultra-conservative. He believes the scriptures. He's the teacher. If anybody's religious, if anybody's good enough, Nicodemus is good enough. But Jesus looks at him and says, mm-mm, not even close. I don't care how religious you are. I don't care how conservative you are. I don't care what you do. Unless you are born again, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. So what is a Christian? Somebody who is born again. You know, um, that, that's why I think it's funny. We use the term. You ever heard this term? Somebody say, hey, I'm a born again Christian. You ever heard that? Somebody say, I'm a, just so you know, I'm a born again Christian. That, that's really stutter. That's double talk. It's like me saying, well, yeah, that's a three-sided triangle. Yeah, if it's a triangle, it's got, how many, it's got three sides. You with me? Hey, I'm a single bachelor. All bachelors are single. Why do you need to say it twice, right? Like that's a, it, You don't need to say I'm a born-again Christian because there's only one type of Christian. Those who are born again. Because we kind of seem to think like, we use term in our t- context, well, you know, she's, she's a born-again Christian. Like, she's a little, she really takes it serious. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that kind of person, okay? That's how we use it in our in term. Like, they're really fanatical. Like, they're, like, they're really, they're born-again Christians. You're missing it. There's no other type of Christian but those who are born again. It's necessary Church membership isn't necessary, but it's great. It's important. Baptism isn't necessary, but it's important, but it's not necessary. The one necessary thing to enter the kingdom is to be born again. Now, it's necessary to see the kingdom, to enter the kingdom. And what did Nicodemus, when Jesus said the kingdom of God, what would Nicodemus, what were they talking about? Simple. The Pharisees believed, the Sadducees, the uh, Judaism believed the kingdom of God was coming when all things would be made right, when all things, when God would be ruling and everyone would know it and the world would be as it is in eternity in heaven. It was heaven in their mind. We think heaven, that's when they said king. If we just said heaven to them, they'd be like, what? Because they would say kingdom of God, okay? And he's saying you're not going to even see it if you're not born again. Then he goes on to say later, you're not going to enter it unless you're born again. It's necessary. That's, that's the first thing I want you to give. It's necessary. And verse 4, you know, just to, verse 4, Nicodemus answers him, and he's shocked, right? We know he's marveling. How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter his womb, a mother's womb and be born? Now, does Nicodemus understand this? What Jesus is saying? Well, from one sense, no. There's this ongoing thing in John's gospel where people, Jesus would say something and people would respond because they didn't understand. Uh, Jesus in John chapter 4 is going to say, uh, woman at the well, she's at a well, she's going to say, if you ask me for a drink, Jesus would say, then you'll never thirst again. I'll give you water and you'll never thirst again. And what does she reply? 
I don't, I don't see any buckets around here, Jesus. What are you talking about? And she says, buckets. I'm not talking about physical water. I'm talking about spiritual water. There's always this dichotomy in John's gospel between physical and spiritual. In John chapter 2, he looks at the Pharisees in the temple and he goes, destroy this temple three days, I'm going I'm to raise it up. And they say, what are you talking about? We took us 46 years to build this thing. How are you going to tear it down and rebuild it in three days? Jesus goes, I'm talking about my body, not the, not the, not the structure. Okay, so it, spiritual, they, they, people were missing. And, and there's a real sense today that, you know, that people today, um, I don't know, have you ever heard people say like, hey, I used to go to that church over there, and I never heard the gospel in that church. You ever, you ever hear some people say that? And maybe that's true. They did go to a church where the gospel was never preached. That's maybe true. But, you know, uh, there will be people here today, I guarantee it, that will leave and never hear the gospel. Though I'm going to do my very best to proclaim it, they'll never hear it. Because God hasn't given them ears to hear or eyes to see. You see? Like Nicodemus hadn't yet. And maybe in another sense, Nicodemus is saying, if you're saying, I have to be born again. if I, Because Nicodemus comes to Jesus with all of these things, that he, who he is, what he's done. I'm a, I'm a ruler. I am the teacher. I am the guy. I am the religious person. This is my credentials to get into the kingdom. And I just want to make sure I'm in Jesus. And Jesus says, that's not good enough. That won't work. Is Nicodemus kind of saying, well, I can't change now. Like, I, too late. Can't teach an old dog new tricks kind of thing. You know, Winston Churchill um, uh, was met uh, by Billy Graham one time. Billy Graham got to talk to Churchill before he died. And Billy Graham went to Churchill and he said, Winston, you have to be born again. You have to be born again. And Winston said, no time. I'm too old. I'm too old. He didn't think he could change. He didn't think he could change. How sad is that? Okay? How sad is that? It is necessary. Um, it is absolutely Necessary. George Whitfield, a uh, great preacher from the Second Great Awakening, was asked, Why do you always preach and why do you always say you must be born again all the time? Why do you preach on that? And he said, It's because you must be born again. <laughs> you must be born again. It's necessary. Secondly, let me say, it's supernatural. It is supernatural. In verse 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, this phrase, born again, keeps coming up. And what does it mean exactly? Well, look in verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit. Now, Nicodemus had just asked, can a, oh, can a person go back into their mother's womb and be born physically again? And Jesus says, not what I'm talking about. And what does it mean to be born of water? Well, I think the most common sense thing to make in the context of this is Jesus saying, um, to be born of water is a physical birth. All of you, when... Uh, you were born, your mother, her water broke, and you were born of water. It's a physical birth Jesus is talking about. We are all born of water. We all come through that. We are all born physical. But he says you must be born again. You must be born by the Spirit. You must be born by the Spirit. He says if you're not, you can't even enter the kingdom. Verse 6, he goes on to give us more clarification. That which is born of the flesh, Jesus says, is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said this. You must be born again. He says it's like the wind. It blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you, you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it's everyone who is born of the Spirit. But tell you what Jesus is not saying here. 
Jesus is not saying that when whatever it means to be born again, he's not saying that you do 60% of the work and God will do the other 40. You ever heard the preacher say, you take the first couple steps, God will take the rest? You ever hear that? You do this so and then God will take over from there. You know, God helps those who helps himself, kind of th- that kind of thing. Not, not going to help you at all here. Not going to help you get into the kingdom at all. There's no, in one real sense, if somebody was to ask you, what can I do to be saved? In one real sense, the answer is nothing. There's nothing you can do. Because Jesus says to be born again, it's of the Spirit. It's the Spirit who does it. If you look at chapter 1, Jesus makes it clear in verse 13. Who, speaking of, we'll go to verse 12. But all who did receive him who believed in his name and gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. You must be born of God. It is a total work of the Holy Spirit. It's just like the first birth. It's similar. That's why Jesus gives the illustration. Born again. You're, where you were born. Did you have a say-so in that? Did you have a say-so in who you were born to? Some of you may wish it would have been different. No, you wouldn't. Do you, do you have a say-so in what time period you were born? Who you were born to? What hospital or not? Where you were born? Do you have any say in that? Zero. Same is true of this birth. It is of the Spirit. It is of the Spirit. And how miraculous. Look at all these babies in here. And I love the babies. Oh, we love the babies. How, when you see a baby, how miraculous is it? You're like, can't believe it. It really is. You think, miracle. It's hard to see atheists in, in, in hospitals where they're having babies. I mean, there's nothing almost more touching the supernatural than when you see a baby born. Same thing here. Friend, this is totally supernatural work. It says you must be born. Now, you know, some people, you may have heard this say, well, you know, if you don't know the day and time you were saved, then you weren't really saved. If you don't know the day and time. Well, let me tell you this, friend. You won't find, there's one problem with that. You won't find it in the Bible. Do you know how you were born physically? Are you breathing right now? Are you enjoying life at all right now? That's how you know you were born physically. You know how you know if you've been born spiritually? Well, you have the effects of being born again. Do you love Jesus? Do you trust in Jesus? Do you follow Jesus? Is Jesus the Lord of your life? These are what born again people do, right? You know, it's like John chapter 9 when Jesus, um, the blind man, he healed the blind man. They come up and they go, what did that man do to you? Who was that man that touched you? Who was that man? And the, man, the guy says, now wait just a minute, guys. I don't know who he is. I don't know what you're talking about. This is one thing I know. I was blind, but now I see. That's what I know. I was blind. It's supernatural like that. If you're a Christian, it's supernatural. Um, uh, I was talking about George Whitfield when George Whitfield was uh, in the second uh, Great Awakening in America and going preaching all over America. He was actually from uh, Europe, but he come over and he's preaching all over. And there was a group of people that followed him everywhere he went, and they mocked him. It was a handful of people, and they'd show up to where he was preaching, and they would just make fun of him. Make fun of him, even throw rocks at times at him. And, and while he was traveling around, I mean, they just mocked him. And one day, this group of people were in a tavern of all places, and they're mocking George. They had got one of his sermons a newspaper had printed, and one of the guys is reading his sermon, making fun of him, like, hey, hey, look, I'm Whitfield. And he's making fun of him. And while he's reading the sermon, all of a sudden, his countenance changes. All of a sudden, he begins to cry. All of a sudden, he said something changed. Something changed. 
He don't know what happened. He started following Jesus and trusting in Jesus. That's how the new birth happens. It's, it, it happens, and it changes. We're not. It's like the wind. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. It's supernatural. It's miraculous. He says, born. Um, here's why it's miraculous. It's like the new birth, because he says born, but he says again. For we're all, I hope I made this point. We're all born once, or we wouldn't be here. But friend, if we're only born once, then we will die twice. Here, and the Bible says the second death in the book of Revelation is the lake of fire, what the Bible calls hell, which the Bible is clear is a place of eternal conscious punishment that we all deserve, every one of us. And if you're born once physically, you'll die twice. But here's, what, here's the good news. If you're born twice, born from above, born again, if you die physically, you only die one time because you live forever. Eternal life is forever. If you were born twice, friend, you will in one sense never die. And it is supernatural. Jesus would, um, there's another term in the Bible, and we read it in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Did you catch it? It was a big word. It's called regeneration. Regeneration. Um, the Greeks and the, and the Romans used that word, uh, palagenesia. And I, I, it, it, here's how they used the word. They believed that history was cyclical. They believed history was, was going in a circle. And, and they would have a great reset. A fire or something would happen, and it would, the world would just keep going kind of in cycles. Well, Jesus in Matthew 19 says, no, uh, there's coming a day where I will sit on my throne and my disciple, we will, I will judge the world and it, the world will be regenerated. That there's coming an end. There's coming a culmination. There's coming a climax when the world will end and I will judge it and there will be an eternity. It's not cyclical. It's actually linear. And he used the term regeneration. And, and Jesus is saying one day... I'm going to regenerate the physical world. The Bible says one day that this physical world uh, in 1 Peter tells us this world's going to burn up. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. It's going to be made. Romans 8 alludes to this where it says that this world, present world, groans. That it wants to be made new. It has groanings. It wants to be made new because we have messed it up. And God cursed it because we messed it up in our sin. And so it wants to be made new. And the Bible says one day it will be regenerated. But friend, here's what, here's what this has to do with this. Paul said in Titus 3 that we read it in verse 5 that we have been regenerated. You see, one day the Bible says miraculously, God will remake this world. But that future power, that power of God, when someone is born again, the Spirit of God comes into the dead soul of a person and they become a new person. They're not Christians aren't nice people necessarily. They should be nice people. But they're not just nice people. They're new people. That, that future power that Jesus was talking about has presently come into their life and changed their life. They went from death to life. It, it, here's the point, and I hate to stress this, but I think this is important. However you see the, the um, problem is how you see the solution, right? Whatever you see the problem with something will dictate what you think the solution for it is. That makes sense. For instance, I was using Sunday school. If, if I say, hey, I got a headache, you wouldn't say, hey, cut off your right arm. Right, <laughs> you know, Bell said you should probably just drink enough water and get hydrated. That would probably help you out a lot, right? Like the the whatever you think the problem is determines the solution, right? If you think what's wrong with humanity is that it's hungry, you'll say, well, the salvation is that it needs to be fed. Yeah. If if you think that um, the the answer is you know poverty, then you'll say the answer is more money, right? Or if you think it's oppression, you'll say it's to be you know set free. 
what, do you, what is Jesus saying here is the problem? If he says the answer is that you have to be totally changed, you have to be totally born again, your life has to totally be transformed and changed by God, what is he saying the problem is? That you have to have life. You have to have the Spirit give you life. He's saying your problem is you're dead. And that's the testimony of all of Scripture. That, you, that people without Christ are dead in their sins and trespasses. And Christians have been brought from death to life. That is what a Christian is. So Christian, this morning, if you love Jesus, if you are a Christian, if you follow the Lord, if you have any affection for Him at all this morning, it's because you've been born again. Friend, you are a miracle. You're, the power of Almighty God has changed your life. Think about that. Think about that. Not only is it supernatural... <coughs> Just to straight, we got we got to hit verse eight because it's so good. He says Jesus says it's like the wind, and I imagine that Jesus and Nicodemus are having this conversation on top of a house, and they feel this wind blowing. And Jesus is saying that the people who are born of the Spirit is like the wind; it blows where it wishes. the The Spirit of God is sovereign; it's the one that does it. And you hear it sounds. It has effect. Charles Simeon uh, preached for 50-some years, and he was asked, what is the number one effect or result that you see in people's life who have been born again? You know what he said? Humility. He said, the number one thing I see that marks people who have been born again is humility. Humility. That's one of the effects for sure. That is a love for Christ. We have a new heart. We have, what did Paul say in 2 Corinthians 5? Um, those who are in Christ are new creatures. All things have passed away and all things have become new in their life. Friend, that's the question this morning, isn't it? To make this line clear for you. Are you a Christian or not? The question is, have you ever been born again? Has your life ever been really changed and transformed by God? Is there ever a time where you can say, I was like this, but now I'm like this because I met Jesus? That something just changed and all of a sudden I wanted to hear the word preached. I wanted to go to church. I wanted to be with God's people. I wanted to sing songs to him. I wanted to live a holy life and I don't know really why. All then something changed. Something happened in me. Have you ever been through that? That's the new birth. That's the new birth. Because you and your sin and your dead self would never love him. The Bible actually says you hate him. You're in, you hate God. You are God's enemy. But Christians love him. They love him. Third, final thing, it's individualistic. It's, it's necessary, supernatural, and it's individualistic. This is not something that, that, you know, you can go to like a concert and be like, man, I'm part of this whole movement. And No, it's an individual sort of thing that happens it's individual and look at it and we'll finish our time up in verse 9 Nicodemus said how can these things be Jesus said are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand them truly truly I say to you we speak of what we know I think Jesus there is talking about the scriptures I'm talking here the teacher of Israel you know the Old Testament but the prophets in the Old Testament Psalms 51 that says David prayed give me a new heart and Ezekiel 36 that proclaimed that in the new covenant, God would give us new hearts and new spirits, and he would take our hearts of stone. He would turn them to a heart of flesh. He said, that's the testimony. In verse 12, if I told you earthly things, you don't believe them. Why would I tell you heavenly things? Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. I want you to center in on verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... So must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him 
may have eternal life. Now this, this may be the most important part of the sermon. How someone have eternal life? They must believe. But Jesus said, I am like Moses. When, he, when Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Nicodemus would have knew exactly what he was talking about in Numbers 21. God was bringing his people um, from Egypt into the promised land. They're going through the wilderness. They keep rebelling. It should have been like a, a very short journey, but it took them 40 years because they kept rebelling against God continuously. And one time they rebelled against God, and God sent serpents in to bite them. And all of a sudden, they had been bit by these poisonous snakes, and they're dying. And God told Moses, say, take one of those serpents, put it on a brass pole, and tell them, whoever will look at it will be healed. Whoever looks at it will be healed. And they were. A look for a life. And there Jesus is saying, that's me. And that serpent was a sign of the curse in the Old Testament. You remember Genesis 3 where um, the serpent was cursed to be on his belly? The serpent was. It's a sign of God's curse. What was Jesus on the cross? Jesus was cursed on the cross. The Bible tells us that he who knew no sin, Jesus perfect, holy, became sin. That he became a curse for us on the cross. And what's the message of the gospel? If you will but look to Jesus. Look. Look to him. And that's what he says, believe. Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. I think probably the best illustration of this is the testimony of Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon, one of the best, uh, probably most well-known Baptist preachers in all of history from the early 1900s in London. Charles Spurgeon was uh, 15 years old when he was converted, and he was going to his church, but he couldn't get to church because it was snowing one morning. So he ended up at a primitive little bitty Methodist church. And the preacher was snowing so bad, the, the preacher couldn't get there. So one of the lay people had to get up, and he turned to Isaiah 45. In the verse 4, it says, uh, Look unto the Lord and be saved. All you nations, look unto the Lord and be saved. And he said the preacher went on about that for 10 minutes. He couldn't believe it, that one verse. <laughs> you imagine a preacher preaching on 10 minutes, something that short? No, you couldn't. Uh, but he kept on and on about this. And he even put the words, Charles Spurgeon said, in the, in the lips of Jesus. And he said, Jesus would say, look at me and be saved. Look at me in my perfect life. Look at me with sweat drops of blood. Look at me dying on the cross for you. Look at me resurrecting from the grave. Look at me at the right hand of the Father. Look at me and be saved. Charles said, man, it, it was hitting me right square in the face. He said, there were but three or four people there that morning. He said, the man walks out from the pulpit and he looks at me and he calls me out. He didn't even know who I was. He said, son, you look miserable. And you'll be miserable in this life and the next one if you don't look to Jesus to be saved. That's what he told him. Spurgeon said, I was ready for that man to tell me to do 50 different things. I was ready for him to tell me to run a mile in the snow. I was ready for him to tell me to give everything I had to somebody or do this. I was ready to do 50 different things to be saved. I was ready to do it. But he said, none of those things would save me. The only thing that would save me is what that man told me. Look to Jesus and be saved. It's that simple. You know, earlier I said in one sense, if somebody's asked, what do I have to do to be saved? Really, in one sense, the answer is, there's nothing you can do. You're dead in your sins and your trespasses. There's nothing you can do. God has to do it. God has to save you. But in another sense, the answer is, the only thing you can do to be saved is believe. The only thing you can do is look to Jesus. The only thing you can do is trust him. Turn from your sins and trust in Jesus. You see, God's initiating work of salvation and our repentance and believing 
is so interwoven. You see that? Did you see? And I, not to take our time, I'm done. We read this morning, Alex, Pastor Alex, just want to repeat it. It was so good. We believe that in order to be saved, sinners must be regenerated or born again. That regeneration consists in giving a holy disposition to the mind. At the end of it there, the last second last line, its proper evidence appears in the holy fruit of repentance and faith. Friend, you know the evidence that you have been saved? It's not saying a prayer. It's not joining the church. It's... It's repentance and faith. If you believe in Jesus, repent of your sins. That's evidence that you've been saved. You should join the church. You should be baptized. Friends, this morning, if you believe this gospel, you believe you've looked to Jesus and you love him and you turn from your sins, you should be baptized. You should be baptized. If you're interested in that, I want you to talk to one of us, one of these pastors, before you leave today. I want you to bow your head and pray with me. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Baptist Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website, harvestbc.church. If you would like to contact us, please email us at contact.harvestbc at gmail.com or you can call us at 706-780-2211. If you are looking for a church home or visiting the North Georgia area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday morning at 9.30 in the Fellowship Hall for breakfast and Sunday school, and then at 11 a.m. for our Lord's Day worship service. We hope that you have a great week. God bless.